Sexy to-do list, Cozy Zone friends. Ben Weber here. Good morning. Here I am, sitting in my bedroom. It's feeling cozy, though I'm I'm dressed pretty formally. But it, you can have a formal coziness about you. I'm I'm wearing like a button-down shirt, my my swirly orange tie, red pants, no shoes yet. So you know, feeling feeling pretty cash with my stocking feet. I have a, a special event. Later for work, uh, I, I have to talk to uh, a lot of people. I, it, it's a big day at work today, but I feel really nice taking a moment sitting in my Brooklyn bedroom to just sort of take in the coziness. I, I am striving to be more dedicated about really living a life of coziness. I am I am the host of the GD Cozy Zone with Ben Weber, so... Maybe I can take some advice from myself and the wonderful guests that I have and and drink up and breathe deep the coziness that's all around me. I'm thinking about to-do lists a lot. Uh, that's, that's, you know, my little word of the day, my opening word. I, I've been working on trying to figure out what, what can I do to compel myself to get the tasks done that I need to get done? Do I, do I make a digital list? Do I schedule them in my calendar? Do I find a, a, a sumptuous roll of parchment paper and, and draw little things? I, I have right now this little uh, three by five note card uh, that says things to do and there's a date and there's all these little blanks and places for check marks and numbers. And this is nice, but frankly, it feels a little constrictive. This is from Levenger.com, a uh, office supply company that I loved when I was uh, a little boy, I, I was a little boy who loved high-end office supplies. Frankly, I'm, I'm a man who loves high-end office supplies. So anyway, this is, this is an option that I have, but, you know, it's not quite right. Um, you know, I guess I've been thinking a lot about, you know, if, I, if I'm honest with myself and you, sexy to-do list was, was my, my little phrase of the day. So, so how can I how can I create uh, a menu of things that validate my desires? I'm working on that. I'm not going to go into too much detail about that. If you want to know more about that, maybe uh, maybe we can connect privately or even on social media. Follow me at Ben Weber Projects on Instagram at Cozy Zones on the Tweet Deck Twitter Twitter. Uh, the Cozy Zone Foundation is, of course, our sponsor uh, and you can like their page on facebook the cozy zone foundation please do uh, every time you like it uh the cozy zone foundation the board members donate ten thousand dollars for the commission of a collaborative art project uh which you as my faithful listeners uh know and love can i just say thank you so much uh, for downloading this episode for listening for sticking with me for for saying yes to my vulnerable explorations, my, my uh, confessions of feelings. I really appreciate it. You know, there is this impulse, I think, when you make art that you want to touch people, you want to live forever, 
and this is happening right now. There, there is a both a, an abandon with which I am, I am talking to you now because hey, you know, I'm I'm in my bedroom, I'm cozy, I'm I'm feeling pretty good, I'm gearing up for work, I'm wearing a tie, nothing can hurt me. But then also the acknowledgement that this this will now live forever on the internet. This is this is a forever thing um, that people will have access to. That maybe hundreds, thousands of years from now, this will live on some sort of cloud. This will be part of the human consciousness, and every word that I utter uh, will will and might be considered uh, as a representation of human history. So I better not mess it up. You know what I mean? There's a lot of pressure, but there's also a lot of excitement. And maybe, maybe my my voice will be be touching you. Well, you know, you'll be feeling a little stressed out, and and you'll hear my my dulcet tones, and you'll be like, ah, this is what I need. This is this is what's going to help me get through my day. There's all this mishigas going on. I just need a moment to settle in and feel cozy, friends. I am grappling with so many feelings all the time. Um, but I, I have to share with you uh, some very exciting, complicated feelings that are that are happening right now. So my my sweetie Nicolette is remounting uh, a show that she created with her sweetie uh, Emmett Findlay. You may remember both of their episodes from Cozy Zone. Uh, Emmett was in his room. Nicolette, we went to Saragina. Check them out. BenWeberProjects.com. Uh, various episodes. Well, they are they're putting on a show at Dixon Place this Friday. February 12th at 7.30. If you go to DixonPlace.org.com. Oh, gosh. Let me look. Uh, it's DixonPlace.org. Thank you. Uh, and you go to their website, and, and you, uh, you go to Zach and Louise or How to Fall in Love, Fuck It Up, and Start All Over in Five Easy Steps by Nicolette Dixon and Emmett Finley. You can go see their show. Um, and uh, let, me, let me read you a little description about, about this show. It's, uh, the estimated runtime is 40 minutes. Here's it about the show. The year is 1997. Buffy the Vampire Slayer has just hit the airwaves. Folks are still arguing about whether or not 10,000 spoons is really ironic. Two 10th graders from opposite sides of the country have the exact same English composition assignment. Here it is. The Pen Pal Project outlined the objective. Students will learn the format of letter writing while learning how to craft well-written sentences into paragraphs. They will practice with several genres, including persuasive, biography, expository, and narrative writing, while making real-world connections. As Zach and Louise persuade, narrate, and exposit their heart minds onto the page... They find some real-world connections that are more magic-making and hormone-inducing than any school assignment before. They share stories of typical teenage experience, playing video games, getting second chair, divorce, depression, death, and their favorite TV shows, and of course, they fall in love. Now, this is adorable, friends, as for all of us outside uh, we can we can all admit that this is objectively adorable. I'm going to have to say that, you know, as... uh, the the partner and uh, of Nicolette and the metamor of of Emmett. This brings up a lot of feelings. I, I have to admit that art making for me is my love language. You know what I mean? Uh, I I express my my vulnerability, my love, my intimacy by making art with people. And so this is you know this is sort of a touchy, intense territory as Nicolette and Emmett make art together. I am doing a lot of work on myself, trying to, trying to, to I guess, digest my jealousy, uh, figure it all out. Um, and, uh, but, but here's, here's the thing. Emmett and Nicolette has, have asked me 
to open their show at Dixon Place with uh, a set of stand-up. Now, I've been talking about doing stand-up on this podcast since time immemorial. And, you know, I haven't really done it since the inception of this podcast. I have to be honest with that. And so now, February 12th, 2016, at 7.30, you get to see Ben Weber, the partner of Nicolette, the metamor of Emmett, do a five-minute set of stand-up. And I have to tell you, there is going to be nothing on earth like this event, friends. Uh, it will be vulnerable. The stakes are so high. My objective really is to make Nicolette and Emmett laugh uh, above all else. So I really think this is going to be incredible. If you are in the New York City area, I highly recommend coming out to see uh, this opening stand-up, this wonderful show. I've actually seen it before. Uh, it's really beautiful. Emmett has a beautiful voice. Uh, Nicolette is wonderful at stagecraft. She will be singing also, facing a fear of hers. Emmett plays guitar. Uh, it's really lovely. It is cute and adorable. And I have so many feelings about it, so many complex feelings. My goodness. It is It is almost impossible to fathom. But come out to the show, friends. I highly recommend it. Oh, friends. Oh, friends. This is, this is a perfect opening for this week's guest, Emma, who invited me to her Brooklyn apartment. We sat on the couch. She had a red onesie waiting for me that I donned. Uh, she was wearing uh, a cream-colored onesie. She cooked me an absolutely delicious breakfast. Emma practices non-monogamy herself. We've been to Burning Man together. So boy, oh boy, were we just two crazy freak sluts talking about life. I was filled with emotions. I, I desperately needed her counsel. And friends, you are going to hear this in this episode. This is a cozy zone. This is Emma's cozy zone. It turned into my cozy zone. Without further ado, friends, it is my pleasure to give you episode 40 of Cozy Zone with Ben Weber, Emma, on her couch, uh, in a onesie. Enjoy. Emma, welcome to your Cozy Zone. Oh, thank you. Uh, tell us about where we are right now. Um, we are on a couch wearing what could be characterized as matching onesies, although yours is red and mine is white. I'm, I'm loving um, I'm loving my onesie. Thank you so much for <laughs> providing it for me. It was we, laid out so nice when I arrived. We have a guest onesie at this house. It's a very cozy house. Yeah. Sometimes you need a onesie and you didn't provide one for yourself. No. And so you have to, you know, provide for the people who come. I think people don't necessarily think of bringing a onesie when they go out, at, at least no. in the city. Yeah, I mean... There's so much other stuff to carry. Yeah. There's just, you can't bring all the things you might potentially need. But there is this like immediate, immediate whimsy and, and relaxation that happens. There's like a, I think there's a place for me to poop out of. Yeah, the there's back. a butt flap. Butt flap. It, uh, oh yeah. yeah. It's riding up or something. Where yeah, is it? it's riding up. It does that. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to find it here. Um, uh that's a Canadian onesie. I got it in Canada. Oh, nice. It's definitely w was owned by some sort of lumberjack in the yeah, past. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking for my butt flap. Yeah, it's... Oh, there it is. Yeah, it's I there. Found it. I got it. Phew. Okay, great. It's going to be okay. Yeah. Whew. Okay, yeah. Well, so what else What? What else is going on in this in this place here? Um. Well, this is our sort of... I mean, it's it's an apartment, so this is the room that we don't 
live in like we don't sleep in we don't eat in we don't pee in so it's <laughs> i guess the like living room common area um you know common area sounds very dorm like living room sounds a little bougie um it's sort of it's the other room the, the hangout other room the zone. Hangout, it's hangout the cozy zone, zone. It's the cozy zone this don't is, ask me so many questions well it's the this, cozy zone. this is what we're going to be doing i know so, yeah, i'm gonna love get it get ready yeah we're, we're um, gonna ease into it so <laughs> this is the cozy zone of your apartment this yeah well i mean i say that i think that my bed is also a cozy zone yeah. um but this this room gets way more light mm, nice. it's a lot nicer in the daytime um oh great yeah i and i i'm really i mean i'm i'm marveling at all of the art on the wall there's a lot of sexy art on the wall so almost all this art was um all the painted art is my great grandmother's Mm. paintings wow um and the rest of it is mostly her collection um she painted when she was young when she was like our age and then um and even younger and then she um got married and did the whole i'm married in the 20s thing and then her husband died when she was 60 and she didn't die until her nineties, I believe. Um, and she just started painting again and she went and studied in Florence and she went and studied in San Miguel de Allende in Mexico and like all these places where people go to paint and she has hundreds and hundreds of paintings. And these are just a couple Nora and my sister and I snagged from our um, uncle's house. That's amazing. Yeah. So that she was on like a, uh, I don't know, how long of a hiatus from painting? I mean, the way that I've heard it, you know, now I'm going to share this because he's on my parents and they're going to be like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Your facts are all wrong, um, which might happen. But um, the way that I've heard it is that she did take a long hiatus and then kind of picked it back up and ended up, it started out being like very representational. There's like a nude up above my head that's, you know, very obviously a naked woman yeah nipples yeah a, um, a very orange pert nipple yeah she mm-hmm. looks great she does I uh, loved her. and then like below that there's more of her later work which are like very impressionistic landscapes mm-hmm. and there are a lot of those yeah and then in, we've got some like in between models of like more impressionistic figures there's one behind the door that i like that's a man um he's very he looks like you're looking at them him through the mist yeah and it's nice it's nice to have i mean he she died when i was two mm. um because she's great grandmother yeah, you know and yeah. like my family did not you know pump him out early like <laughs> feminists you know had other sure, shit to do sure and so um it's kind of cool that i met her at all and now we have all her art that's beautiful yeah it's I'm, so nice. I'm so excited to hear about <laughs> all that i'm also like gawking a lot at this decoupaged lamp here oh yeah that's a my former roommate made a decoupage lamp cover with um an old playboy centerfold um that's cindy with an eye she's a little hard to turn on um but once you do it's really nice that's uh that's beautiful that's a beautiful way to describe a lamp you know i empathize with that yeah you know it's everyone has their their buttons that's right and it's worth seeking them. It's worth investigating all of the buttons and making sure they're in working order. Oh, definitely. Tune-ups are important. Mm. <laughs> yes. And uh, a be- you have a beautiful bar also that I, I can't help but Oh, notice. yeah. Our bar that's like 70% whiskey and then the rest of it's mostly wine and tequila. And then there's kind of like the rogue other thing every once in a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love that little bar so nice do you like drinking 
Um, I like drinking. I've noticed that, I mean, I've never really liked being drunk. I definitely am not really on being drunk right now. Yeah. No, um, no. but I like having a couple of drinks. I think that, you know, like I remember. So, um, one of my first boyfriends, um, the guy actually gave my virginity to assuming that you can give something like that. Um, he, I was 18 and he was 21. And so he, he always drank Jack Daniels. And I remember like smelling it and being like, Oh my God, I don't know what's going to happen in my future, but I know I'm never going to like whiskey. This is the worst thing. And then, you know, of course that's not true. And now I don't know what I was doing, drinking vodka as a tween. So it's fine. <laughs> God, that's devastating. Well, I'm glad. Welcome. Welcome to the world of whiskey. I know. It's I, better. I'm very, I mean, I'm, I'm really the same way that I, I don't like being drunk. I like to have a few drinks. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, there's a, there's a, I don't know. I, I also love whiskey. No, but we can have a whiskey tasting on Cozy Zone in a little bit. I am so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. That's very exciting. Oh, Emma. So we, we met, uh, because I was your orientation leader. I actually think you weren't mine. I think you were just an orientation well, was, leader. Okay. But well, yeah. But like, you know, we were all, you know, we were all like assigned to orient you. Like, yeah, yeah. maybe I wasn't your personal one, but totally. you were around. Like, you know, I wasn't going to let you be disoriented, you know. That. I was profoundly disoriented, actually, when I was there. It was very interesting. <laughs> I can I can really <laughs> I can really understand that. Uh I was also disoriented my my freshman orientation. Oh yeah. But what was going on? Um well actually, wow, I haven't thought about this in a while. What was going on? So orientation was that was the summer before freshman year. Mm -hmm. I got there, you know, you go into the dorm. I woke up the next morning and I thought I had an STD because I had just gotten my first yeast infection, but I didn't know. And so, you know, I called my mom's best friend who's a doctor and she was like, sounds like a yeast infection. I'm going to call something into you. You know, where are you? And I told her where I was and she, you know, like found the nearest Dwayne Reed, which was, you know, reasonably two blocks away. And, but I d had no fucking clue where I was and we had constant 24 seven programming. And so I had to like talk my way out of something and then get lost in, you know, Washington Square Park, which is fine, you know, like nothing bad happened. But I just remember being so helpless. Like, I don't know what a Dwayne Reed is. Like, we don't even have those in California. Like, <laughs> I'm freaked out that, you know, like my pussy hurts for the first time in my life. Like, this is weird. Like, what's going on? <laughs> Everything is hard. I don't know any people. All these people are strangers. Um, so, you that's, know, it was all up from there. Then it was great. Yeah. That's so horrendous. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's fine. So sorry you had to deal with that. Um, God, I, I can't even imagine that. My, my biggest problem is I like refuse to wear shorts like during my <laughs> orientation. Cause I thought like shorts aren't cool in New York, but it was so hot. <laughs> my legs were so hot. Uh, yeah. Um, that's a rough one too. Yeah. yeah. But different, I, I'd say. It's I don't different, know. but different. you know, everyone has their things. Yeah. Well, did you did so? What'd you do during orientation? Did you have a good time after you? Yeah, I had a great time. I made up? friends with a bunch of people who I remain friends with to this day. That's amazing. Um, and then I actually ended up being an orientation leader twice. Oh yeah. Afterwards, mm -hmm. um, which was pretty cool, um, and like interesting to meet all the young people. Yeah. 
undergraduates, when I see them these days, I, I'm feeling, I don't know if I'm feeling exactly old, but it, it's amazing how young they are. And mm -hmm. there's such a nervous energy. Yeah. Well, so, so I actually work with undergrads now. Yeah. Um, like sometimes I, because I, um, help run alumni programming for young alumni at Gallatin, yeah, which is where right. we went. Yeah. Um, and so I talk to students and, um, something that I think, I do think that it's just as you get older, people look younger, but I think that one of the predominant differences is that when you and I were in college, the crash, the financial crash happened when we were in college, or maybe you had no, even just graduated, I, I had just graduated, but yeah. the financial crash happened when I was in college. And so, you know, people were thinking like, Oh, it might be hard to get a job after college, but you know, we were halfway through, everyone wasn't going to like go to Stern or, you know, we didn't even really know what to do. And yeah. so we all kept doing the weird shit that we were already doing. Yeah. These kids are coming in, they know about the crash, they know about financial instability. And so they're all doing like, I want to be a rock star plus marketing or, right. you know, like climate change plus business instead of just, you know, like the passion stuff that a bunch of us were doing. But I guess what I'm, I'm noticing is like a, a real, like physical, like tremoring of these oh. people. Like these are like, these are nervous young, nervous young people. like, they're, yeah, like they're, they're not comfortable in their bodies. They don't like that. You know, they, they seem to not be breathing, you know, <laughs> like they're not, they're not, <laughs> you know, it almost makes me nervous. I'm I'm able to like check in and like ground myself and and be a, you know relaxed, sympathetic, in, yeah, and, nervous, and, yeah, in spite of of their nervousness. But I mean, I yeah, like I I mean, I think that's awesome. Like to be marketing plus, yeah, I something mean, else. Why not? Yeah, but I think yeah, I don't know. I think it's also it's hard to remember what I was like then. Yeah, same. Um, and so I don't know, maybe I had a lot of nervous energy. I don't, I don't remember you having, you're, you're from Berkeley. I'm yeah, chills. Fuck. You're the so. same. Yeah. <laughs> you're the same now as when I remember you then really. Interesting. Yeah. There's really yeah. like no difference. Yeah. We've also known each other continuously though, which makes it a little bit harder. True. But yeah, no, definitely. So, all right. So we met and what, what was your concentration at Gallatin? We have, we have concentrations know. at Gallatin, not majors. Sense. Yeah. Um, mine was called the philosophy of the abnormal and it was using, um, literature and philosophy and critical theory and, um, like queer theory and horror genre theory to look at, um, sort of popular culture representations of monstrosity and sort of abnormal beings and using that to kind of read what we, what, you know, what um society is worried about yeah so like the classic example is um nosferatu the old school vampire depiction is has a lot of qualities that had been attributed to um jews oh. and so it was it's a very anti-semitic film and depicts the anti-semitism of the time and I, I never thought about that that's that's, yeah, I see it it's now. It's an interesting thing. Yeah, yeah, it's super well documented. But what, what I was really interested in was how people don't talk. It's a little bit harder to look at something that's happening now and try to figure out what's going on. Um, it's a lot easier to do it retrospectively and be like, oh, wow, you know, it's very obvious that people thought Jews were rats. And then this guy comes and he has like all these rat-like qualities and he's, you know, and he 
bleeds money basically you know so it's just Nosferatu um, does yeah there's like this film in in dracula um there's this scene where um and i think it's in nosferatu too where they um he's like sleeps with a bunch of gold coins oh. and there's like rivulets of blood going down his um cheeks and oh. then he has gold coins and it's like all right all right heavy-handed yeah also anti-semitic but also like you know at least be a little more delicate um but yeah so i studied that there i obviously don't do that now because there's no um vampirologist um positions available have you looked uh, well you know i haven't checked idealist lately yeah i mean so you never know yeah, put it into indeed you know maybe yeah. they'll send you an email but um Emma, I have to say, I'm I'm super excited to be in this zone and have you in my presence. I I've respected you since I met you as a young freshman. Like you you didn't have the you know these nervous qualities. Like I I find you like as long as I've known you, I've known you to be very much a leader, a host, uh, an intellectual. <laughs> I'm um, well, you know it's true. So I guess I just you know like. I, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, what is the deal with the cozy zone? Why do I do it? What is the, like, urgency of it? And it's very much to, like, seek out and learn about how other people who I respect live their lives in a in a, in a way, you know? And, I, like, I, I, as we were talking about sort of in our pre-zone, like, I'm... I'm in a moment of struggle and transition. Like all of my feelings that have been cloistered in my body are like beginning to crack open and seep out. And it's very intense. And I, I'm here to learn and here to like bounce ideas off of you and, and sort of bask in you, you, you don't ever seem to be scared of anything in my, in my, in my approximation. And I'd love to, you know, hear about your fears and, and things like that. But like, I don't know. You're 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 pretty unflappable and like powerful. Hell yeah! Uh, yeah. Try to be powerful. That's awesome. Yeah, and I guess like I think what was really resonant and you saying talking about your concentration is really asking the question of like what is society scared of, and like I have that same question, mm-hmm. and I I think that's also sort of part of this. It's like you know we all of us need to survive we need to create retreats for ourselves we need to be better at Mm self-care so like how do we get rid of the culture of fear that we're basking in all the time yeah i don't know yeah i don't know either but but you seem to have some ideas we might might unpack it a little bit (laughs) yeah yeah i guess like you know, so so sure we so we went to Galton get together, and and the next you know the next big moment, the big shared moment of our lives was was going to Burning Man together. Yeah, that was great when you came with us. Yeah, that was so fun. Yeah, so I you know I went out to to Berkeley on a on a train. <laughs> yeah, my parents love you. They ask about you all the time. That is so nice. I'm so honored <laughs> to meet your parents. What do your parents do? Um, they're psychoanalysts. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Does, does that has that like affected your psyche in any way? Have you, you know noticed what's that? So interesting is that people always ask me that, and um, and I actually, um, people usually ask me more in the like, oh, how are you not fucked up? Right, and I have a, things. That's not a very nice. Question. It's not a very nice question, <laughs> but I think it's really interesting because first of all, I'm not. Um, no, but also. 
no one asks that about any other you know, no one's like, oh, your parents are policemen. You know, are, you are there up? a lot of like, you know, were there a lot of drills in your life growing <laughs> up? You know, like there's no other job where people think that the job comes home so much. And I think that it's, I think that it's that people are nervous around psychologists and psychoanalysts and therapists because they know a lot about the mind and they think, you know, there have been cases of, you know, <laughs> bad psychologists you know like doing experiments on their kids also parents abuse their kids all the time sure. you know like in it's different. any profession yeah and so what my usual response is something along the lines of that my parents just know more about humans and human behavior than most people so it didn't really come up that often, but there were some times when, especially in middle school, when like kids are being really mean. I dealt with like a lot of mean girl things when I was growing up. I was, I was very, very different growing up than I am now. I was a lot shyer. I was a lot more introverted. I was not a leader. I was like, I had not found my people, um, which is what I think has like allowed me to grow is like finding my people. Um, and there were times when my parents would just, you know, I would, I would bring like a case to them, you know, like someone did this, you know, like crying, whatever. And my parents would just have more insight than I think other parents would because of their profession. And I value that immensely. I think it's so amazing to be able, you know, like they couldn't help me with my math homework for shit, you know, like science home. Like it was just like, it was a wash. Like they really, I mean, they helped me with writing and things like that. But, um, you know, we, the fact that we talked about ideas so much growing up definitely made me into the intellectual that I am today. And they just like, especially my dad, I think, um, now more than even when we were growing up, was is like you can talk to him about something and he totally listens and really gets it and then just offers like a little like advice something like that that connects it all together and my mom does the same thing but with jokes my mom knows like every joke ever and she will tell a joke that just exemplifies the problem and the solution and she just has this arsenal. We're trying to get her to write a book of psychoanalytic concepts told through jokes because she teaches that way. Wow. And it's so cool. So really, it's the opposite of your parents fucking you up. Like your parents, yeah. uh, as psychoanalysts, helped you and nourished you and yeah. nurtured your your intellect and your... It's, I mean, you have a, also a very, you know, you're a very good communicator as well. And so, yeah. And I think that it's also, you know, like when you are in training to be an analyst, you have to be an analysis. So they're also, they just, they know what it's like to be an analysis, but they also just, they've actually actively worked on themselves, which I think a lot of people of that generation ne haven't necessarily. Yeah. And so I think our generation where a lot of people have had experience with that or, you know, are actively working on being good communicators like if we decide to progenate or you know if we try if we co-raise kids like whatever we decide to do we can be better to the next generation yeah i mean that is definitely the the hope yeah it's always the hope <laughs> always the hope to do better yeah um 
Oh, that's wonderful. Okay, so yeah, so you live in this beautiful house in Berkeley. And I mean, one of the things that I remember uh, <laughs> is is the test run of setting up the like geodesic. Oh dome. yeah, we don't even test it anymore. We're like, it's probably all there. It's fine. But that was that the first year of it, or was that uh, the? I don't know. The years are all blurring together. Um, so <laughs> to be was, honest, but that w- maybe that was two thousand nine. Was were you there for my wedding? No. no, no, that was the previous year. I then that they... was the wedding was the first year with the dome. Got it. No, so I built that dome. Okay, with help from two other people. But yeah. I used power tools for that dome, and I'm so proud of that. You should be. I know, and it's still it's still there. Yeah, <laughs> it's still almost all there. Yeah, um, yeah, that was funny. I don't know why we thought that that was an important project to build this geodesic dome at Willard Park. <laughs> well, I mean, because, you know, it was like where you, you go out into space on the playa, you know, like there's no, yeah. you have to be self-sufficient. You have to know all the things. Yeah. And you have to make sure all the parts are there. It's totally yeah. true. Um, since then, we've gotten a little more laissez-faire about it. And we often forget the instructions and have to like figure out how to build the dome, which is hard. Yeah. Because when you really haven't touched it since the previous year, you, I always remember the first two layers. And then it's like, well, we have some poles. Shall we count them and see how they will go? <laughs> God. Like, but that so was fun. How many years have you been to Burning Man? Um, nine. Wow. In, in a row, yeah. Oh, my God. In a row. Yeah. And so if I go this year, which I think that I will, um, I'm going to have a 10th wow. birthday party. Well, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. That's so many times. It's a lot of times. Uh, do you, I mean, do you remember, do you remember like the 2009, I'm trying to remember what the Yeah, I mean, was. I remember it, you being there. You know, it was like American. You had like a great mime costume. I had a mime costume. Saw your cock. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's what you do. Yeah, yeah. No, it's perfect. Yeah. And yeah, we had, I mean, we had a nice little thing going. I don't it, even remember who else was there that year, but a lot uh, of good people. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I remember a few. I don't know if we want to say the no, names. No, we don't want to say the names. <laughs> You can let them disclose their great. hippie dumb for themselves. Great, great. But um, yeah, let's see. So uh, yeah, I, I had a really intense Burning Man that year. Like there was a lot of feelings, and you were very much the queen of the camp. Our camp was like out in the <laughs> boonies. Oh yeah, that was the four twenty and I era. That was a great era. Yeah, we, we might do that again this year. We've since incorporated into more of a serious camp, and I'm now one of a bunch of camp mamas. Yeah, who yeah. we we produce a theme camp now, um, Tender Heckle's Porch, where we build a porch and then heckle from it tenderly. I love that, um, which is amazing and de- delightful. Um, and we have a whole clown contingent and a bunch of healers. It's really cool, but it's a huge fucking production, and yeah. I think a lot of us are taking a year off. And but being out in the boonies is great. Well, you you know you really you really have to band together, and you you're, <laughs> you know you're really taking care of the, everyone else who's out there, as opposed to like the you know sort of the main drag of the center art and like you know the yeah. the, the A ring and all that stuff <laughs> and Esplanade and yeah, it's the thing that's so interesting. So um, for the uninitiated. Burning Man is in this um, clock-like shape, so it's in a circle. Um, And a lot of the big things are sort of in the interior area. But actually, they they do a good job of placing big things everywhere. People just don't know. 
and everything is fun right. because everyone's doing something cool. Right. And so actually, so we've been very centrally located the past three years because we've been placed and they really like us. So they just place us wherever we ask basically because we're good communicators. Apparently the bar is set super low, like oh. answer your emails. Oh boy. Um, and so, which is awesome. Yeah. But, and so we, um, but being out, being out in the middle of, you know, like very far out, it's not like you wish you were in Bushwick, but you ended up on Long Island. Like it's, you know, it's like everywhere is awesome, but there are fewer people because they're lazy and they don't want to go all the way out there because it seems really far and that maybe there isn't anything out there. So you can find all these amazing little spaces you know, cozy zones abound. <laughs> and it's, I think that's really special and is still, you know, Burning Man can be pretty intense, but the further out you go, it's, you know, it's more chill. Yeah. Well, it's neighborhoody and yeah. know, things like that. Uh, what, yeah. Like what, what do you do to make sure you have a great time at Burning Man? Like, uh, you know, when we were there, you had a lot of rituals and, and sort of things and advice and things. What, what do you do to, <laughs> What do you do to what do I do? make it great? Yeah, well, I mean, that's an interesting question. I'm thinking about that a lot because I had a really hard year this past year. Um, super difficult for a number of reasons. Um, and I mean, really what it's turned into for me is more of a family reunion mm. um, because there are people who I only see out there, um, you know, and my little sister comes with me. And so it is a technical family reunion, even yeah. though I also live with her. So like whatever, I see her yeah. all the time. But there are some people who I really just see out there. Um, and I don't know. I think we family dinners that we have are really nice. Um, and just being around camp and making making and holding space for people is really nice. But I don't know about other things. What is, yeah, like what is your favorite? I mean, I think like the, the idea that Tender Heckle's porch, like that, that was my favorite part about Burning Man is that you're in this, this society <laughs> where like it is invited to like call out people like as you see them. You're like, hey, you in the chicken costume, <laughs> like nice, nice ass, you know. <laughs> nice cock. Nice cock. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's something that, what that brings up that's really interesting. So, as I've grown up, I mean, it's people always ask me, you know, has Burning Man changed since you've been there? And it's like, well, yeah, you know, it's gotten a lot bigger. Um, but also, like, I was 19 when I started going. Now I'm 28. You know, I've changed. Have I changed more than Burning Man? Yes. Like, I was 19. I had no idea what I was doing. I was mm. in college. Yeah. Um, and so, as I, every year I try to think about, you know, what's special about it. Because the whole point is that it happens for a week in this unsustainable way, I mean, you know, you bring everything out that you need. You can't do that forever. And, you know, it's not very good for the environment. Right. You know, there are a lot of reasons why you can't be there all the time. People totally try to live the burn all year round and, you know, power to them. But what I think that's really cool out there is that when you're out there, it feels really different. And there are a lot of really positive feelings that people have. And trying to figure out how to bring, you know, what elements to bring back and how to integrate them into your life that's kind of the point of Burning Man and has been, you know, sort of explicitly by a lot of the people who started it is, you know, we're going to do this thing and then we're going to bring these principles back with us. And so a couple years ago, I had this revelation that 
you know, I've had, I always tell people like, you know, this is one of my favorite things about Burning Man. This is one of my favorite things about Burning Man. But um, the thing that I think is the most incredible that I've found is that it actually feels like all genders co-own the streets. Mm. So like the concept of street harassment, a lot like the predominant understanding of it is that um, cis males own the streets and anyone else who walks down it is like encroaching on their property. And so they get to say something about it. And if they, you don't, if they don't like what, how you respond, you know, they get to like be violent over it. Um, and that is a super disempowering place to just live where like everywhere you go, the best thing that can happen is that someone says something to you and you just like internalize it and, you know, don't end up beat up in the street. Um, and this is true of, you know, women, but also different gender presenting people, um, have different reactions. Um, and what's interesting about Burning Man is that, from my perspective, I found that most that I, I feel like I can do anything I want and that I can wear whatever I want, which I also feel in Brooklyn, but that I feel very, very safe doing it. Yeah. Um, when people heckle me, you know, even about the way that I look, it doesn't feel like it's coming from a place of violence or fear. Yeah. Um, it feels much more equal. And the, um, I think a big part of that is this sort of policing community wherein um like in a positive way where i've gotten heckled in brooklyn you know people have said terrible things to me on the street like on a regular basis and not one person has ever been like put a stop to it like ever i've never experienced someone like coming to my assistance sorry at burning man people are like Hey, don't do that. Or if I say, I don't want, you know, don't say that to me, or you just took a picture of my naked body without my permission, I'm going to watch you delete it now. If they put up any sort of, you know, like, oh, no, it's my thing, whatever, like people are there to help. Yeah. And so it's not to say that like everyone who goes to Burning Man is amazing and perfect because that's like definitely not true. No. But there's this different culture of supporting people. And I don't know how to bring that back here. I was going to do some sort of project and I kind of got derailed um, about figuring out like what are the qualities that make Burning Man feel so gender neutral space and Mm. safe and in a very sexualized environment that could be, you know, if it was a little different, it could be like a terrifying place to be. Totally. Um, But it's not. It's a great place to be. But I don't know how to take that and kind of like use it to educate people here so that, and I feel pretty safe in Brooklyn, even like despite all this, which I guess is, you know, like pretty serious. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's still, and, but so I don't know how to get it going here basically. Well, I mean, it's, everyone is in this particular context. It's in this, it's in a place where people have built built the world around them literally Mm -hmm. and i guess when you're anywhere else like there's so much else going on like every little piece of your environment has so much history and meaning and like that is all sort of resonating whereas like burning man is literally you you build atop this like clean slate this like you know alkaline lake (laughs) and you know you like there is there's not entitlement like because i mean maybe you like brought this but everyone like brought something like the only reasons you're there or something is there is that it it was brought by the people around you 
Yeah. And so it's much simpler. I think that's true. I mean, I guess my question that I don't have the answer to is, are there people who are at Burning Man who sort of follow the culture of respect there that then go home and don't follow the culture of respect? And if they go there and they are indoctrinated into this sort of more communicative, open culture, like, does it make them think about how they treat people in their daily life. Yeah. And I don't know the answer to that. And yeah. I would love to try to figure that out and like, you know, talk to people, but I haven't really, I haven't really set up any sort of study. That's a really great question. You, you had a, you had a project uh, this year. Bringing <laughs> yeah, Do you I want to talk about? Yeah, I've yeah. actually, well, the intimacy project, it was something that I did a couple of years, which was, um, kind of looking at, I did it at Burning Man and then also I do it in workshops around New York City. Um, and it's basically thinking about how a lot of people define condoms as a barrier to intimacy. Um, but we need condoms. I mean, not everyone uses them and, you know, there are good and bad reasons to not use condoms. But from the most part, if you're, you know, in an open sexual community, like condoms are part of it. Yeah. Um, and people don't like them for various reasons. And I think a lot of that is that people s do feel that they're a barrier to intimacy. That's what a lot of research has said. Hmm. And so, um, the intimacy project is an art based sexual health project that sort of aims to just fuck that up a little bit. And so what we, we're doing was taking um, condom boxes that have condoms inside them and decorating the box with something that um, that you think like grows intimacy. So mm. like a joke or um, like a question to ask your lover mm. or, you know, anything that you like. And so that when you hand someone a condom or when you go to grab the condom together, you have, you can have a moment that like takes that pause of like, oh, like we're making out, but now I have to go and find a condom um, from that pause to be just like an interruption to something that actually like heightens the moment. Yeah. Um, and so this year we just did that on a really big scale uh, called the Emerald Phallus Project where yes. we just built to um, my friend Tyler, um, who's an amazing um, architect and builder, built these... Um, two gigantic cock pods um, that we put up on different sides of the playa with condoms and lube um, that were decommodified with these, you know, artistic stickers um, that had the similar thing of, you know, I solicited art and writing from people and it was awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was a cool thing. What, what do people think about it? Um, well, I mean, I think that, Everyone loves it when they get it, you know, when they, right. when they get the condoms. What was really interesting is that I thought, you know, I've been handing out condoms for three years and I was like, oh, well, you know, when I hand the condoms out, like you have to see me in order to get the condoms and I have to have the condoms and I don't always have them, you know? So like, wouldn't it be better if there was like a brick and mortar where you could just like go by and it says like Emerald Phallus Condom Palace and you just like go in and get the condoms in the lube and I don't need to be there. Um, and you know, this is like the prime example of like why you have to pilot your projects because, you know, we spent all this time building. I'm not a builder. I ended up building a lot of it um, because we, the builders were doing other stuff and um, that was extremely difficult for me. And, you know, we built these things and we put them up and then, 
you know, people went in and the people who went in loved it, but people don't necessarily stop. Burning Man is so overwhelming and overstimulating and everyone's like was zipping around doing all sorts of things. And, um, and so when I did go to parties and pass out the condoms, everyone was like, Oh, thank you. Like I needed this. I'm so happy to have that. And so next time we do something, I think that, um, my partner is interested in building a two person bike with like a thing off the back where you can sit. I'm going to build it out into a big vagina Mm. and just like have like a vagina throne so that we can kind of like mobile unit where you can go around and hand out condoms. That's nice. Which I think is more sort of, but we'll see if that it'd be, happens. It'd be fun to sit in a vagina throne. I would enjoy yeah. it. So the idea that someone, the person who's throwing the condoms out is sitting in the vagina yeah, throne? Yeah, it's or? like you pass them out. I mean, you know, like no one's going very fast. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, oh, that's, that's great. So I guess it sounds like people wouldn't necessarily, weren't drawn into the phallus. Or it was, it was so, there was sort of yeah. a, there, the, they, the invitation was confusing or or muddled or um i don't know if the invitation was confusing i think we could we could probably if we really wanted to do this more we could do um like change the user experience a little bit Mm -hmm. um but i also think like i think having a condom kiosk at like bonnaroo or coachella is like really what needs to happen yeah and they Um, don't have those i don't know if they have them but like i mean the health center at burning man like they were like, oh, you have condoms? We just ran out. And it was Wednesday. And I was like, how many did you bring? And they were like, a thousand. It's like, you know that there's 70,000 people here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, come on. Come on, dudes. Like, get your act together. Um, but I think, Damn. I don't know what happens at these other festivals, but I think having something like that that's really special could do really well at other festivals. At Burning Man, people people are more self-reliant, so like they have things. But also, um, they're just... It, everything looks wild like yeah you know right there was like another cock on our block you know like this isn't even like exciting you know <laughs> that's beautiful <laughs> yeah that's beautiful it's nice so so i mean you you are really invested in ideas of sex and in- intimacy and relationships and love and you know you you live your life in, in service of advocating for a, a more just and radical way of loving, it seems. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like what, like where, where did this begin? Like where did you, where did, where did your radical loving begin? I don't know. That's a good question. I think, I don't know when it started. I mean, I, when I started having, well, I came out as fluid when I was 13. Um, and I do, hang with people of multiple gender presentations um and genitalia owners but um like when i started dating people i definitely was you know like you date someone and then you're monogamous and that's like what it means to like have someone like you yeah um and it wasn't and then when i went off to college i I went off to college with a boyfriend Mm. um but we were you know open because (laughs) Like it's in California and I was 18. Yeah. Um, and that kind of made sense. Although I'm sure I didn't do a very good job of it, you know, because there's no model for it. Um, and then I actually, for the last two years of college, I decided to be monogamous with someone, which is the only time that I kind of decided to do it. And it felt very radical for us. And that was interesting. Mm. And then we opened it up when he went off to grad school. Um, and, 
I think like since then I haven't been monogamous with anyone and like really don't feel a desire to, even if I end up in a relationship where I, for whatever reason, don't see anyone for like else for years at a time. Yeah. The concept of non-monogamy and the, just the, the openness and the, like all the other stuff that comes with it that supports it, um, I think makes a lot of sense to me personally. I, I can really understand that. Uh, I, I think what really resonated is like, you know, when I was, when I was, uh, I guess 16 or 17 and my, my girlfriend went away to college, we also like opened up a relationship and just what a mess that was and how yeah. horrible it felt. Like it felt really, really bad and it wasn't handled well. And like there was sort of this non-consensual, like radical honesty that was happening, that, like <laughs> no. really, like really hurt my feelings. And yeah, like and I guess like sort of thinking about that evolving into something that resonates with me today. It's like, you know, you were mentioning like what comes with non-monogamy, even if you're not seeing someone for years at a time, like I'm thinking about communication and acknowledging your desires and, you yeah. know, you know, that kind of thing. Are, like are there? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that um, just, I mean, talking to my monogamous friends and how they talk about how, you know, we'll go out and they'll see someone who's cute and they just, you know, won't be able to talk to that person because they have desire. And it's like, I still feel that way though. (laughs) Well, I mean, I get shy around cute people also, (laughs) Um, but that's sort of a different issue. Yeah. But just the thought that (laughs) the thought that loving me means that you have to not live your best, most, expansive life there's this definition of love that i forget who it's attributed to but um it's it's in this bell hooks book oh i'm reading it right now um, it's in my bag i'm gonna yeah. get, i'm gonna we're gonna, gonna get, get it, it. we're yeah, gonna get it hold on you hold my mic i'm gonna get it out <laughs> um yeah i mean i'm not even gonna paraphrase it now because now we're gonna have it <laughs> oh your bag matches your onesie it looks so great oh, thank you. everything's yeah, got thank good you. so do you know where i'm looking I for think so it's like her it's the main uh it's the main it's quote. about it's sort spiritual of, growth yep, yep, yep. yeah yeah the, i mean it's basically the the core of her book yeah. it's like the, oh yeah this one all about love this is um, good okay uh let's see here it's Not, probably very in the beginning yeah um let's travel oh here we go oh uh uh yeah so so basically, this is this is a requote, but this is not the first time we're hearing the quote. But essentially, it is um, the will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth. Yeah, exactly. And so the bell hooks talks about how, and it's attributed to a, a guy who yeah, uh, talks a, about it's a, some book about like the road more traveled. I yeah, the, the road. Uh, I've read this book a very long time ago. Uh, it's uh, The Road Less Traveled. Yes. Um, by, I'm not sure. I'm looking. I don't know. We're going to figure it out later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think that, so the concept that loving someone means facilitating their personal growth is really scary for a lot of people because you meet and then you both grow and you can grow apart. Yeah. Which often happens to people. Or you can grow closer, you can grow in parallel, you know, all the you know vertices are available to you (laughs) um but i think that uh, that lends itself very well to non-monogamy because it 
you know, I want you to be your best, most wonderful, expansive, fullest self. And if all, if predominantly what I'm doing is limiting you by saying, you know, in order to be with me, you can't be with other people. You can't feel these feelings or express these feelings. You can't talk to me about these things, whatever it is. That seems to me like not letting someone grow spiritually. No. Yeah, it's certainly not. And I guess like I'm in this place where like intellectually and and many parts of my feelings as well, like resonate with this and agree with this and want this. Mm -hmm. But it it is butting up against there. There is there is I don't know if it's societal uh, brainwashing or, or just socialization in general like there is there is serious dissonance happening and i and i wonder if it's about my own insecurities my own inability to like take care of myself or love myself and and i guess the question is like where where can where can we go to find to figure it out relief from this you know this stuff like i y- y- absolutely agree like please everyone like <laughs> live be your best self live your truth like develop yourself spiritually mm-hmm. but there is still i don't do you ever feel lonely yeah i think i mean what resonated with me in your sort of question the was that i think the thing that i struggle with the most is just like narcissism like i want to be the best I want to be I want to be everyone's favorite. I want to be the best lover they've ever had. I want to be like the smartest person they've ever been with, the most beautiful. Like I want to be the most awesome. And everyone can't be the most the best of if you know, if you when you think about it in a hierarchy like that, it's difficult when someone is excited about someone else in a different way, but what you have to remember is that it's in a different way. Yeah. Because you know, no one needs to date two Emmas. No. Like, I'm enough. I got, you know, I got, I got all the things. You need other things. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know? And so I think that that helps. But, yeah, I mean, I do, I do get lonely sometimes. I've also been fortunate to always, almost always have someone I was excited about in my life. Yeah. You know, different levels, of course. Yeah. But, like. Um, there's been a lot of, in non-monogamy, it happens often where there's been a lot of like continuous dating because, you know, you stop seeing someone, but you were already seeing someone else. And right. so it kind of like, it, there's a lot of overlap. Um, and so I think that that has helped, but also perhaps, you know, when serial monogamists, you tell them like the best advice you can give a serial monogamist is like, take a break for in between and figure out what you've learned about yourself. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, recenter before you go out and, you know, make the same mistakes again right, or whatever right. you're doing. Right. And um, that is a little harder when, you know, you're kind of always processing multiple relationships. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but but there is I mean, I also find that, though, in processing those other relationships, you do learn so much about yourself. Oh, yeah. And like in a way that you interrogate things in a way that you don't have to in monogamy at least or, or well i think that you should i mean i think the really like the takeaway that a lot of people are saying in um non-monogamy poly amory all of these things is that a lot of the things that people who live like us have to do because like 
you can't like you have to talk about things right. you, you know you gotta like disclose all your stuff you gotta yeah. you know like schedule there's a lot of talking yeah. you gotta yeah. tell your feelings um <laughs> you know like yeah. a lot i know um I know. Yeah. there's a lot of things like that but um that those that's actually a really great model for monogamy as totally. well oh my god yeah but you're just not forced to do it right. and so it kind of goes by the wayside for some people i think a lot of people i mean i've my monogamous relationship was you know, I was a lot younger, but we were definitely talking about a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I've I've had I've had sort of various experiences. I, I guess I feel most most accomplished in my communication and in my non monogamous in my poly relationship, you know. Yeah. Um but yeah, I you know, I think like maybe 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 it's that I'm hungry for community like just because i mean like every time every time i talk about something it there's a little less pressure you know and there's a like yeah you know there's a little more validation it's just like oh like i'm not alone like this is you know someone's hearing me like oh this <laughs> i'm i'm okay i'm i'm like this is okay and mm-hmm. like you know i i have a i have an issue with sort of everything is my responsibility i need to take it all in i need to fix it sort of by myself but like i think thinking about this definition of love is like you like i if someone loves me they are committed to also helping me grow spiritually and and develop and so i can let that in and like mm-hmm. allow someone to help cultivate my spiritual growth yeah which is challenging which for is me. challenging yeah and we're using a broad definition of spirituality, or at least I am. I don't know about you. Oh, very broad, <laughs> very broad. I mean, I'm yeah, just thinking about the intangible. You know. Yeah, exactly. Your heart, yeah. mind. We want everyone to have everything. Yeah. All the things. Yeah, yeah, and even even if it's hard feelings, like even if it's like. Yeah. I want I want that. I want to feel comfortable with that. I want to feel. I want to view those things as gifts. And as opposed to like, oh, it's poison. I shouldn't be feeling bad. I shouldn't be feeling this. Yeah. But like, I, I'm gonna. Yeah. So figuring out how to deal with that and how to support people who are feeling bad. Yeah. It's rough. Mm. But I mean, it's like a lifelong journey to figure out how oh. to do that. But learning that, I mean, being in complicated relationships has helped me in every other aspect of my life mm-hmm. it's helped me help other people. It's helped me, you know, in my writing and, mm-hmm. you know, in everything it's yeah. helped to just communication is the glue that holds everything together. Yeah. So how, how, uh, how do you feel about being the best Emma? Are you, do you feel like you are the best <laughs> Emma? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that I can be a better Emma always as me. Um, there are a lot of Emma's, um, so I don't know, but I'm, but like, yeah, I guess like, you know, where, where are you in terms of your best self? My best self. Um, I'm working on it. I think that I, I feel pretty good about most of my relationships of, you know, how they're going and how, you know, I, I take on a lot of people of like supportive roles and with people, mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel good about that. I definitely could do some like self care work mm. more than I do. Mm. Um, which is hard for me. What might that look like? I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know. I think cause I'm a social introvert, but I mean, 
Like, <laughs> so I do need to recharge by myself, but, um, you know, being with my partner, being with my friends, um, like I joined OkCupid two months ago. So like going on dates with strangers, like all of this t- takes time. You know, I, I have a freelance gig, a couple of freelance gigs that I do after work, um, you know, after my job. So like, you know, when do I hang out and watch Buffy and like recharge? Like, yeah. I don't know, you yeah. know, like yeah. I have to carve it out for myself and I suck at that. Mm. And figuring out how to do that is something that, you know, I go through phases and what usually ends up happening is that, you know, I go, 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 go. And then I just like reach a breaking point. I'm like, oh my God, I have to, you know, like I got to get out of here. You know, I got to go home and do my thing. And maybe if I was better at scheduling those things, I could, um, I could actually like work it in so that I wouldn't reach that boiling point. Yeah. Well, it's almost like thinking that like you you personally are another partner you're navigating, like scheduling (laughs) some you time. Like it's like, yeah, yeah, like how, you know, checking in about the relationship with yourself, processing the relationship (laughs) with yourself. I mean, I know I, that sounds really nice to me. That's something I wouldn't mind doing more of. Yeah. Um, That's a good way of putting it. I hadn't thought about it like that, but yeah, I mean, I had this, this one moment last week where I was just, um, you know, in this scheduling hell of trying to figure out how I was going to see and do all the things that I needed to see and do. Um, and I got very, you know, stressed and, um, I'm on this really awesome secret Facebook group called trustable S, which is, um, the secret arm of trustable sluts, which is this, um, ethical non-monogamy group. It's mostly older. It's all female identified, but there are a number of trans women in there as well. It's mostly these Bay area, poly women and they're awesome and you know they they always like write really sexy things about you know like i just got fucked by three people this morning and then we had breakfast and then we all hung out with our kids and you know it's just like all these different ways Uh, that like you know life can be and it's so wonderful but there's also this you know like sort of stranger community (laughs) i know it's so great i wish you could be in it but you're not identified correctly that's okay um and and i just wrote this post and just being like how do you like you know sometimes being non-monogamous means like you're trying to schedule you know you're like three jobs your x number of partner you know your partner you're like you know all these people you're meeting your you know like your friends your work everything you know like scheduling all these things sleep um all and it's just like thinking just writing it all out was really interesting because like on on a certain level they're all equal needs like i need to sleep just as much as i need to see my partner just as much as i need to go to work like yeah. i probably don't need to go on some okay keep dates and like i could get better at saying no to projects but like there are a lot a lot of these things like are not they're persistent things that aren't going to go away yeah and just reading it, it all out you know and thinking about it a little bit and then i got like this awesome badass outpouring of like well here's how i do it and here's how i do it and all these different models of like you know scheduling and also like make sure you get self-care girl like what are you doing like why do you have so many projects i was like i don't know i have too many projects and so that was you know that's like a nice little thing that's really nice what what did they say about scheduling i'm Um, I'm definitely in the throes of like trying to figuring out scheduling um, a lot of people will, a lot of, uh, one of the main models that I've heard a lot about, um, if you're in like a poly relationship where everyone's kind of doing this collaboratively, like yeah. having a shared Google calendar is something that, uh, that people do. 
Um, seems that's I'm very scared of that, but I, I hear yeah. that I'm hearing it, but it's seem, yeah, it's it scary. seems scary. But that's something that some people do. Um, I don't know. I usually just um, like talk to my partner and schedule certain things, and then like. I just started seeing this man who's married. So like I'll text him and say, you know, can we hang out now? And he's like, yeah, like let's pencil it in. And I got to ask my wife and like, right. she has the final say and right. that's awesome. Like fine. You yeah, know, yeah. Totally. Yeah. So there are different levels of how it works out. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, it's probably just a little trial and error and like <laughs> totally and praying through it to the, to the, the love gods. <laughs> love gods, please let this be okay. Why? I mean, that's like the, you know, the ethical slut, which is the sort of, you know, like old school Bible of right. this kind of living, although there's more updated stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, they talk about how like love, people think love is a scarcity and love is not a scarcity. However, time is a scarcity. And yeah. you start feeling that immediately when you start dating multiple people. Absolutely. Because it's like, and also like, you know, Having sex every day is nice, but like also getting more than five hours of sleep is nice, and yeah. you know, like a lot of things are nice. Yeah, and <laughs> and yeah, and and like you know, that that doesn't necessarily work for everyone having sex every day. Right? No, yeah. and everyone has different levels and needs different amounts of time to do other things. But I mean, the on the positive note, it's just like getting to know more people and like being excited about more people yeah. and being excited that the people I love are excited about other people and yeah. like just you know getting to you know like go to a party and meet someone sexy and be and then just get to go and know them more and yeah. it's so amazing yeah I mean absolutely there's there's this thing I'm I'm slowly discovering like trying to figure out like well I don't know I have I, I there's a lot of fear and I'm I'm like facing it but the one thing I'm certain of is is this feeling of, of of connection of this, like I, I'm calling it the like warm huggy feeling. I'm definitely <laughs> workshopping the title, so maybe you can I'll help me with some it. some insight into that. But like, <laughs> it's the this idea that like you know you you hold someone just with abandon, like you're not holding something back, you're not like mm -hmm. protecting yourself. Like when you like wrap your arms around someone, you are allowed to like have a deluge and a, a transfer, like you, you can let it all go and yeah. you can lean on them completely. You can give all of the things that transmit from a hug, from touch, from, from intimacy, from vulnerability, like into that person. Like there aren't rules, like you're not saving it up for like your other person. You're not saving it up for yourself. Like, you, you know, it just, it flows and expands. And I really love that. I feel that mm -hmm. really yeah, I think that something that I've found that wasn't necessarily what I thought I was going to find is that um, that having stability in one relationship allows me to be more open in other relationships mm. because I have, like, I know I'm going to be fine right? no matter what. And I think a lot of times when people are just with one person, you know, it's kind of like an all eggs in one basket right. situation where... Yeah, I mean, you know, breakups feel horrible when yeah. you, you know, don't have, you've like lost love in your life and then you have to refind it. Right. Whereas if you're seeing multiple people, it can still be as hard to lose somebody, but it's also, you also have, also have love yeah. still. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
and I think that that's really special and that's what sort of like the similar thing with your warm huggy feeling you know patent pending title (laughs) is that you know you can you know that you can give yourself you you know exactly how much you can give which is everything because then you'll just your tank will just fill right on back oh that's a nice thing that's like that's nice that let yeah, it's a nice thing. That's a nice thing. That's a nice thing to like think about and remember. You know how much you can give. It's everything. Yeah. Because well, your tank will just fill right back up. <laughs> I mean, the thing that I think about a lot, um, so I actually don't really date my friends. I mean, historically, I haven't at all. I'm, I think that's one of my own hangups, but also like... I we mentioned the mean girls earlier. I got yeah. ditched by all these girls when I was way young and so I ended up hanging out with all these guys in middle school and then, you know, like invariably someone developed a crush on someone and whatever. And um I'm still friends with a lot of these amazing men. Um and I never you know, I married one of them and I never even kissed him. You know, like yeah. this is not you know, I've had I've drawn very serious lines in the sand around like sexuality and friends. Oh yeah. The, um, these are the people that you were talking about. Like finding yeah. your people was this, that this was group part of, of finding those people were some people, there were some artists also like meeting weird artists mm-hmm. was helpful for me. But, um, I think that what, what helps me that I think a lot of people don't really think about is like, I love my partner. I also love my family. I also love my friends, you know, like yeah. there we act like this is so different. Right. And I mean, like I've been broken up with friends before, you know, over things that feel worse than a lot of breaking up with relationships. Totally. There is something about sex and sexual desire and all of that, that like makes, um, you know, that really makes lovers loss difficult in a different way it has a different texture to it yeah but like i truly fucking love so many people yeah and you know at the moment it's like one of them is someone i'm having sex with but they're like i mean i can't even count how many people i love yeah and so i think that this like designation of people you know like this is my you know we call them lovers but like you know this is my person who i'm in love with and then these people i love and i'm like what the fuck does that mean i mean it's all it's all love. it's all the same yeah like you know someone i could be on a date with someone and like a friend of mine would call and say like i need help and like off i go you know like, sure that's you drop everything for your friend sure yeah i mean that you bring up an interesting thing like what like there is a there is an alchemy with sex and sexual desire like something there is something that changes but is it is it like is that real or like is that like is there a material thing or is it just a societal thing is it a like are we socialized to think that like i i know i have a very particular like relationship with sex and like a lot of my my heart goes into it you know what i mean mm-hmm. that i sort of like you know, fall in love with everyone I sleep with, you know, (laughs) like, you know, that's just sort of what happens. And I, I don't know exactly if that's healthy or, you know, I'm still, I'm still, yeah, it's okay. (laughs) But, you know, I'm still like, I, I feel like I'm still learning my relationship with my own sexuality and it feels very complicated. Mm -hmm. And, 
yeah, adds adds some some like tension and weight and stakes to things that aren't necessarily useful in non-monogamy and poly. I mean, but it, it, it's important to acknowledge. But like, yeah, it's hard. I wonder yeah. what what why what is the deal with sex? Like, what is it? Yeah, it's so complicated. Yeah, because yeah, I wonder. Like the concept of breaking up with someone and just being like, I can't be around you anymore is so interesting. And yeah. like, I have someone who I can't be around anymore, but mostly I just think he's an asshole. Sure. <laughs> you know? So like everyone else, all my other previous partners are um, amazing. Yeah. And you know, I don't see them as much and maybe it's hard a little bit when I run into them because you know, we have all this history and our relationship has changed so drastically, but yeah this concept of you know we have this thing and then we suddenly it dissolves and we don't have it anymore um and i think that point goes in there somewhere but i don't know what to say about it uh like the the transformation uh, like that there's like there's a thing. transformation when you break up well just that there's this that sex makes it your relationship so loaded that when you decide you're not having sex anymore a lot of times the rest of the relationship kind of dissolves with it. Right. And, um, yeah, and I mean, that's, I've had that experience many times. Yeah. And it's complicated because, you know, with friends you can, you know, you come together, you start seeing each other all the time because you're really grooving. And then, you know, you start seeing them less, but it doesn't mean that when you see them, you're not just as excited to see them. It's right. like your scheduling got weirded. Right. Or changed. Right. And so there's, there definitely is this thing with relationship with sexual relationships that makes the question more loaded about, you know, how you share space after you stop having sex or after you fall out of love with someone. Mm -hmm. Cause just cause you fall out of love with someone doesn't mean you fall out of like with them. Right. <laughs> you can still really like them. Totally. I've always like completely cut off people who I've stopped being in and like yeah. sexual relationships with. And romantic relationships or love relationships with. Yeah, but I wonder if that's just what we are programmed to do in a certain way. Like, like some of them, I mean, I'm definitely not as close with my exes as I was when I was with them because I used to spend all sorts of time with them. Sure. And often it is a scheduling thing where it's like, you know, I now I'm with someone else. Um, a couple other people, like, I don't have time to see you all the time, mm -hmm. even if I want to, you know, and mm -hmm. I like to. and. And there are feelings that come up that are difficult and, you know, you're re reconfiguring pathways of like, you know, now would be the time that we would start making out because we like each other, but we're not doing that anymore. So there right. are different pathways. Right. But I wonder if we're sort of programmed through monogamy to be like, okay, get out, of, get out of here. You know, like we did the thing. It didn't work out, you know, like clear the way for someone else in this kind of serial monogamous way. Well, like perhaps there wasn't time or there wasn't care or effort to like cultivate the other parts of it or really listen to the other like positive parts of it. Like that's what like yeah. I, for me, like I mean, for me, like the sexual relationship is like so much and like it feels like so <laughs> big and and like everything and everything is is like contained in this huge it's like a, it's the sun and and mm -hmm. everything else are the the little tiny planets like you know zipping around yeah but like i don't know if that's that doesn't seem like a, like a, a healthy balance 
Maybe. I don't know. So, so my partner and I have talked about how we love each other for like probably close to a year now. It's Mm -hmm. been like a really long time, but yesterday he called me his best friend and it was this like really awesome, really awesome, interesting moment that felt as pretty much as big as when he said that he loved me because, you know, that's the other half of it right is you know like we i mean i have many best friends i think the term best friend is kind of silly but you know <laughs> right. i have a lot of them yeah and he's one of them yeah and it's not just like oh you're my lover you're my best friend. you know like let's talk about you know like these words sure but like you know a wedding speech or exactly like that, that was what yeah. i was going for yeah um you know my rock my whatever yeah um <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think that there is something to be said for actually actively cultivating that. And, and I really do feel that with him. And sometimes we, sometimes that backfires when we act like best friends with each other and forget that, you know, like there are sexual f- feelings. Like sometimes I'll want to tell him something that like he, you know, I would have told, I would have like disclosed differently, like, you know, feelings about someone else. I could, would have disclosed slightly differently if, you know, I was remembering that, like, you know, we both still struggle with feelings of jealousy sure. and, you know, like all of these things. Sure. But it's like, oh, it's, you know, it's a funny story or, you know, like, let me talk about this thing. Yeah. And so, but I think that that's a good problem to have because it just shows that, like, being comfortable with someone, you can be comfortable on so many different levels. Yeah. And that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I definitely would... I mean, I, I value your, your perspective on that. Like it's a good <laughs> problem to have, but, and I definitely be like, uh, uh, you know, yeah. there's so many like feelings. Hard. It is hard. But the feelings, I mean, but like your best friend will help you through the feelings. Right. Even, you know, and then your lover sometimes like reacting like a lover is like, you know, just exacerbates the problem. It's like, sure. okay, like you need me to be, a friend right now yeah. and we can talk about the thing and then you know i can tell you about my lover human feelings yeah. later and when you're yeah. calmed down yeah yeah and you know and best friends have feelings too like oh you know, totally yeah and best friends are jealous and everyone's jealous about everything <laughs> maybe, maybe i am maybe, maybe not i don't know there's a lot of feelings there's a lot of feelings um ah oh, this is amazing are you uh how, how are you doing Doing good. Feeling good. This is nice. I'm gonna take a bathroom break though. Perfect. I, I was feeling like it's time. We'll we'll be right back. <laughs> and we're back. And we're back. But with Krabby's alcoholic ginger beer. It's so delicious. Because you can drink after three. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's not the rule. I think I don't think there's a rule. I don't follow rules. No. I definitely do follow rules, but I feel like a Saturday is kind of open. It's an open-ended business. Open-ended, yeah. yeah. If you're, you know, it's if you have nothing to do. Yeah. This is worry? serious business. This is serious business. Um, well, so Emma, I am a representative from the Cozy Zone Foundation. Ah, yes. Um, you may have heard of this this organization. It's a, it's a very, very well-endowed organization. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, they have a lot of money and they give unlimited funds to artists to create collaborative projects together. That's cool. Yeah. A little and redundant, the collaborative projects together. Right. Well, they're working, you know, I, I think <laughs> they just really want to, you know, make their point clear. Yeah, that's helpful. They, they want to make, yeah, maybe well, you have, you have some, 
some uh, funding experience or some. I do. Yeah. So you, you know, you understand what, how important that language is. So maybe, oh yeah, maybe you could write them a letter about. I might write them a strongly worded letter. Yeah, just about clarifying their language and and making sure all of the words are really working for them. (laughs) Um, But so, you know, we, we have this opportunity to create a collaboration together. Okay. And, I'm into it. <laughs> and yeah, and so what <laughs> what do we all we need to figure out, we need to figure out a concept and a, a name. A concept and a name. And then then the funds are ours. Cool. What we're, what are we gonna make? What are we gonna make together? Um well I actually I have some ideas. You have some ideas? Well you seem like you have well, an idea. I think I, I just have some like what is your what is your art form? I'm not even sure if I know well, you're a writer. I yeah, I do a bunch of things. I mean so my identity was extremely formed by being a um, a visual artist as a kid. I only really cared about art from when I was five on. I thought I was going to go to art school. Um, I went to like when I talked about meeting my people. A lot of them I met at summer um, art programs, mm-hmm. and I I really thought that that's what I was going to do with my life. Um, and then. I, in my senior year of high school, found, kind of got into critical theory and decided that I wanted, that probably, you know, I wanted to go to a school that had good art, but I wasn't going to do art and Mm -hmm. ended up going to Gallatin. And as you know, I'm sure um, the arts programs at the arts classes at NYU are pretty hard to get into. Mm -hmm. So by the time I could get into them when I was maybe a junior, when I could get into printmaking classes Mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, I was really jamming on some other stuff and I haven't really done much painting or things like that since I, um, I do some costuming for Burning Man. I do some drawing and painting, you know, when it's relevant, I've been doing a little bit of like, uh, experimental decoupage, you know, like here or there, like I definitely am making things, but, um, and I write, I mean, I write full time, um, I write grants. I write grants for friends. I, um, I've been writing artist statements for friends. That is something that I really like to do. Oh, that's cool. Um, which is really fun. Cause like, I love, like I love writing artist statements and editing people's personal statements for grad school because yeah. I just like to know, it's kind of like what you're doing with the cozy zone. Like you want to know what your friends are up to. You yeah. think they're cool. Yeah. And you know, so when I write a friend's artist statement, they just talk at me for an hour and then I just take their words and like rearrange them and cut them into a paragraph and it's so awesome i mean that's how i found out that my partner like <laughs> was like a skydiver and a sailor and like i mean this dude has crazy history and i you know knew kind of parts of it but when we actually laid it out i was like damn that, that is really cool that is cool how do you what is your process so do you record what they no i usually you? just type phrases I see. um and have them kind of talk about their process and then I ask them a few questions nothing standard just to guide you know make sure that I know all the things and then usually because I do it for free usually there's like some sort of like exchange where often historically they've like been making a snack or something so then they kind of like go and do that while I fool around with the words and then we look at it together and then it's you know change things around a little bit Hmm. it's pretty fun um, but a lot of the writing that I've been doing now, I've been writing for bustle for over a year. Um, and I mostly, I write their weekly sexual health column, mm-hmm. but I just wrote my first kind of non 
sexual health column thing for them that this week I wrote it yesterday that I'm going to um, submit. And that <laughs> is, um, so as I mentioned, I got onto OkCupid a couple months ago, yeah. um, actually less than two months um, right before Christmas because my partner and I have a couple's profile, which is really fun. Um, is that, that's a n- pretty new feature. Well, no. So the no? new feature is on your profile. You can say that you're in an open relationship with someone else and it links to their profile. I see. Um, the couple's profile has been going on for a while where it's, you know, one profile mm. and, um, you know, it's kind of weird. It's like our age on the profile. It's like the median between our ages, oh, weird. um, which yeah. is kind of strange, yeah. but, um, but you know, it's pictures of both of us and it taught, we talk about ourselves together. Um, and he's been on OkCupid for a very long time and had talked to me about it. And I'd been going through this thing where I hadn't really met anyone new in a while and was feeling a little bit like that, you know, like I know everyone's allowed to do whatever they want, but like, I want to be seeing more people and you you are, and I'm not and like, that's weird. Yeah. And so I got into OkCupid and I, um, I'm very overwhelmed by it, but I also find it fascinating. And I was on it the other day and I was realizing that I was liking a lot more women than I felt like I had been previously and I thought about it and there's all this research about um about hormone cycles in women and and, you know people who have female reproductive systems Mm -hmm. and how um you know ovulation is an um during ovulation you have high your highest levels of testosterone which is why people are hornier during ovulation Mm -hmm. um and there's all this research that shows that at that part of your cycle, you're more likely to be attracted to more kind of like masculine, symmetrical men. Right. Um, whereas other times in your cycle, you are more likely to sort of judge them on men on their character. And, you know, like if they would be like good long-term partners and like take care of your babies. So the cons, you know, so there's this research on that. And I was thinking like, there's no research on like queer people and you know what it looks like to have, um, you know, like, are there different parts of my cycle when I'm more likely to be attracted to different gender presentations? And so I looked at my OkCupid data and I wrote about it. Did <laughs> you, did you sync it up with like, your, I, I, do I you synced it up a, with my, with my period. period app? I don't have a period app. I, oh. I do it on my, you know, I write it down in pencil because I'm old school. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. but yeah, and I found, I found two things that were interesting. You know, we can just like tell the research before it's published yeah um exclusive <laughs> exclusive picks from emma um so the thing the two things that i learned is that i was much more likely to just be on okay keep it during my ovulation there in the time i've ovulated twice mm-hmm. um so like i'm just hornier so i'm just looking at okay keep it more so i was just liking more people and ostensibly like on it for longer um, whereas in the middle, like I wasn't really on it as much if at all, or I was like liking one to two people, mm-hmm. um, versus like in the twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, so that's in, that's in alignment with these findings where like you're hornier, you're going to be like looking for more people. Um, that's, we kind of know that, but the thing that was really interesting is that, um, for me, I mean, it, obviously this is like a terribly run study. It's like we can talk about the limitations of it it's forever, okay. but it's, okay. it's, it's um, interesting. It's interesting. So what I found is that during ovulation, I was more likely to um, be excited about different gender presentations, not just cis males. So like hmm. um, I looked at all my data and categorized it to like people who identified as male, female and genderqueer of mm-hmm. all different sorts. Mm-hmm. And it was much more evenly distributed um, when I was ovulating 
which is super interesting where it's mm. like in the middle of my cycle it was like if i was looking at people it was more likely to be cis males so that's pretty fucking interesting that's very interesting <laughs> and i learned about that so i guess i'm writing about that um and we'll see what happens with that it's pretty interesting I'm wondering, something I ask myself a lot is like, can can dating be an art form? Can a can a <laughs> can a date be an artistic expression? I mean, there Ooh. there's a lot of there's a lot of artfulness. You know, you were talking about some mediocre OK Cupid dates. Oh yeah, there are some of those. Um, I think that that there's there's definitely an art to talking to a stranger about yourself. Yeah. Um. And that's something that I'm learning how to do. Um, I'm learning, which is not to answer your question, but something that I know about myself is that I can, unless someone's like awful, like I can amuse myself for a couple of hours. Sure. And so just because I'm having fun on the date doesn't necessarily mean I'm having fun with you on the date. Right. Um, right. which is confusing for some people. I mean, maybe I should signal that better, but like I can hang out and drink a couple glasses of wine and like talk about weird shit for a couple of hours, like, and have no, you know, emotional or physical connection with the person. I, I can understand that. And that's something that's a little hard to signal to people. Um, but so I think that, but I, th yeah, I think that, um, displaying yourself, accurately insofar as you can is always an art form yeah so you know like writing your profile is an art form yeah. but also just like you know what you do on your first date when it's like the first real time that you're talking to somebody can totally be an art form yeah i guess i'm thinking like in terms of our our of project, project you know interesting and i like yeah, th there's there's something you know this this idea that there is a finite number of time and like a date is really a precious thing yeah like you have like in in all of the things in our lives about sleep and self-care and seeing the people that we love all the different people taking care of ourselves you know recharging that kind of thing a date is meaningful like saying okay we're gonna meet at this place in time and i'm gonna give you three hours of my life yeah but i'll never get yeah, back i never get it back um and it's nice <laughs> to hear that you're amusing yourself during that time but it's also like i mean you're doing that because presumably because like this is your life you know it's not like you're taking a break <laughs> from your life like this is you know you i th imagine you want all of your time on this earth to be uh, rich and fulfilling yeah, and I think that the thing that's hard about dating at all is like when do you when do you give someone time if you know like I go through phases of saying yes to everyone who asks me out not not online but you know just like people in the world. Yeah. Um and that's never gone well for me. Like I've never had a good date out of it. Mm. Um but presumably someone could come along who's really awesome and meet me at a bar on the street or whatever, and it could go well. So, you know, how do you, how, how close off should you be versus how, you know, much it's so hard and it, you know, it changes. Maybe, you know, get me when I'm ovulating. You're much more likely to get a date. Yeah. The data shows. <laughs> My God. And like that is also fascinating, like bringing in this like biology and physiology component in it. Like, how aware are we about the 
you know, biological processes that are going on in our bodies all the time. Like there's probably a, no, a very... not aware at all. Hmm. I mean, like, cause I, um, I suffer from like probably PMDD, which is the more intense version of PMS, mm. um, that like has depression thrown into it mm. basically. So mm. it's this like really intense hormonally driven thing. But I, and I'm, you know, super connected to my body, my cycle, you know, I work in sexual health, like I pay attention to this shit all the time. And yet I still sometimes don't know that this is what's happening to me. And I'm like, why do I feel terrible? Like everything hurts. Everything is awful. Like, why do I feel this way? And then, you know, a couple of days later, my period will come and I'll be like, oh, that's what that was. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, a lot of people say that about PMS, they're like, you know, why does everything have the volume turned up? And you just, you know, you can't really tell necessarily that that's what's happening. Yeah. Um, and I have a couple tricks that I've learned are good triggers for me mm-hmm. that I can tell that that's what's happening. Like if I, um, I'm usually a very chill person, but if I am like flooded with these like intense hormones, if, um, if I text a lover and five hours later I haven't heard back, like I get extremely annoyed and stressed. Yeah. Like I feel way more unmoored. Yeah. Whereas usually it's like, they're probably doing something, you know, like right. I am on, I am in, in touch with reality. Right. And there are these <laughs> things like that, that just feel, I can tell with, that my reactions are different, but it took me a long time to realize triggers like that. And even so it's not like then the feelings go away. So it's complicated. It's really complicated. Like I'm thinking about like I'm thinking about how to inspire compassion for all of this stuff and inspire like investigation of all this stuff and I'm like I'm yeah. something that's this happened like that I'm imagining right now is like maybe like we're we're lying on like on the floor somewhere there's like a warm like little <laughs> indentation and we're we're near each other and i like and we're we're gazing up at some sort of dome and like there may some i don't know if we can see each other or not i haven't decided about that let's say we can't see each other but what we can see is some sort of you know very beautiful representation of all of the systems that are going on in our bodies like hormone levels and and heart rate and brain waves and like all of these things so that i i don't know that there's some like we know it the per, the person we're we're near knows it it doesn't need to be like two people it can be a group of people mm-hmm. but just like sort of being in this representation of physiological systems together that could be cool I also think that a lot of a lot of things that have been helpful for me are like putting a layer of translation over that. Like, what does it mean? Like when I say, you know, when I have higher levels of testosterone, when I ovulate, it makes me like I'm more likely to be horny. Right. Like that that next step is, I think, very helpful Mm -hmm. of like an emotional overlay to all of it. Yeah. Um, Because that's really or or um, a physical overlay of like, you know because of this you're feeling tired Mm -hmm. because of this your body hurts Mm -hmm. like because i think a lot of what we don't have is like a translation of our bodies Mm. and so trying like striving to bring words bring meaning to these things that are happening 
And like, what does it mean to be like, and like you being horny is, means something very specific, you know? Yeah, and totally. And like different than someone else being horny. Like, yeah. you know, the things that you want and expect and hope for and, and <laughs> dream about are very particular. Exactly. But even just like, I think a lot of, a lot of fear around bodies is that they can't speak your language, mm -hmm. you know, like something starts hurting and you're like, this could be the fact that I like walked into a wall and didn't notice, or I could have cancer, you know, right. like if my cells could speak to me, you know? And so like in a certain way, like there's a lot that happens where if we could get, you know, a little bit more communication about our bodies. Yeah. I think there would be a lot less stress in the world. Totally. How, like, and how can we, how could we do that? Like what I'm trying to think of like a very cozy interface. It might be <laughs> like, you know, there's lying down. I don't know if that would be, or like we're in a special chair. I think you should be like somehow like get a body scan okay. of you. Like okay. that should be the first thing. Maybe like lying down and you get like kind of like a cozy MRI scan mm -hmm. type thing that goes mm -hmm. over you. And it's very beautiful. I'm, I'm picturing like something made out of like, you know, I'm, thinking of an mri that's very like sterile and beige yeah. you know but it's Never, like a, no like, beige allowed no it's like it's like velvet and like beautiful and, <laughs> exactly. and leather or, you know it's something a very uh uh yeah it's a very good i don't know a very nice design a very sumptuous design so good so you have your body scan and it, it, it looks at everything and then like what is you know is the translation is it images is it is it words um, I mean, ideally it would be everything because people are different learners. Right, right. So you'd probably want to tell the interface how you want your information mm -hmm. and then it would project it onto the ceiling. Yeah. So it's sort of like, it's like a, like a star show or an IMAX or yeah, something exactly. like that. It has to mm -hmm. be trippy if you and I are doing it together. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be wild. Um, and I like, yeah, like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm picturing like it, it'd be a nice little dome, like our, you know, mm -hmm. our, the, your yeah. Burning Man dome. I know. This lovely some dome. geodesic domes are mm -hmm. so great. Um, <laughs> and I, I wonder, I, you know, there's, there has to be some sort of like scent happening too. Probably. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like it, in, is it, is it a collective, does everyone smell the same thing? Is it tailored towards people's preferences? It might be. There could be some good aromatherapy yeah. in there about like, you know, if, if you seem like if your body scan indicates that you're more like stressed, yeah, something a little bit more soothing yeah, yeah. or if you're you know hungry, maybe something more delicious. Yeah. It should be, it should be personal. Yeah. Personal aromatherapy. Yeah. And then like, do you, do you interact with your fellow people in there? Are we just, are we just gathering, are we gathering this information mm -hmm. for like the next step and I guess what would be the next step then? I think it's a single serving thing. Like one person gets it at a time, mm. although you can invite other people in to see your I see. experience. Uh. But I think that it's because it is, I mean, it's PHI, it's personal health information yeah. <laughs> basically. Like uh -huh. it shouldn't be shared with other people. That's a good point. But I think, yeah, I think that, so the next step could be, I mean, you could always aggregate it and show, you know, 
how people are feeling. Right. Um, but I don't know. I kind of like it being personal. Yeah. I hear that. And like intimate. Yeah. And it'd be, it'd be really lovely. And then you like, you have this information that you can take with you and think about and make changes yeah. in your life. Yeah. Or, I mean, you can go in when you're having a really hard time and see if there's an obvious thing to fix. Yeah. Which is nice. But it, it, it's, it's sort of the, the concept is like asking, like asking questions of your body or like trying yeah. to, trying to speak to your body. Yeah. So, I mean, if you do it in an ongoing way, then you have a conversation with your body because then you make changes. Yeah. And then you go back in and then you make more changes, you know, based on what's going on. Body talk. Body talk. Not bad. I like it. Body talk. Uh, What is it? P-H-I? Yeah. Personal health information. Filings. Filings. So it's scary. Um, phalanges. Phalanges. Uh, I like body talk. You like body talk? Is that? It's, it's a little, um, like, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? It's a little, like, motivational. Um. Might be a little too, um, like, like motivational speaker. Okay. Um, body talk, meaning, like self-helpy it might or be a, it sounds a little self-helpy yeah that's i think maybe but maybe not but so but so you're you are talking to your body well, and it's a conversation yeah so body body convo is a little twee um it's pretty twee <laughs> uh dialogue uh biologue Ooh, not bad biologue biologue is pretty good biologue i like that that's not bad no, b-i-o-l-o-g yeah. Or, or L-O-G-U-E. L-O-G-U-E. Yeah, biolog. Hmm. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Nice. Like that. Yeah. Good you. That was good. I just did that so fast. Wow, that was really, that was quite fast. You feel good about that? Yeah, I feel great about that. Any any uh, clarifications or additions or? No, I mean, so really we just need to make sure that the technology exists. Right, which, which is. It doesn't. So it doesn't. We but need we, to invent it, but we, we have, have unlimited funding That's and right. I know some people. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Oh, wow. Uh, Emma, any questions for me? Any questions for you? Um, how cozy are you right now on a scale of sea anemone to bear? Oh, my God. Um, sea anemone is n- not cozy, I guess, but well, maybe. Well, you know, you get to decide what the um, scale means. It's a very open-ended scale. I would say... I I would say, like... I'm close to close to bear. I have I have my jammies. I I I feel really. I I feel really like like I've gotten a lot of information. Like this was kind of the perfect conversation for where I am in my life. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, like I have a lot. I mean, I have a lot to think about. That's a little stressful and a little like destabilizing. But like again, I'm looking toward the future and trusting that all of this information is really uh helpful. You have you have a a bravery, a courageousness about you that I that is very very uh inspiring and grounding that I really appreciate. Um and like just sort of like you're like, yeah, I'm just not scared about this thing at all. I like just don't care and I'm just like, I care so much. 
much. I understand. <laughs> but that makes me think that maybe I can just let that go. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But it's like, I guess like that's <laughs> happened like so much during this conversation. Uh, and so I'm, it's just like, well, I really like, maybe I can like rethink some things and let some things go. Because like, Emma's fine. So far, so good. Yeah. You know, who knows? Who knows? There's no way of knowing. No, but I mean, but I don't know. I guess, I mean, how does that, having that fed back to you, like, what do you think about that? I don't know. It's interesting. I have, I've had a lot of experiences with um, men in particular being intimidated by me. And I always am very confused by it because, you know, I'm, that's not how I see myself. And I don't particularly see myself as brave or, you know, any of these adjectives just because I think twofold because you know when you're doing something it feels like you're just doing it and also that you know there are always people who are better at all the things um but I mean I definitely like that's the kind of person I want to be and I strive to be Mm -hmm. and so it's nice that that's how you read me yeah yeah awesome again and it definitely is not like a intimidation it's like a i'm i'm drawn to i'm drawn to your your groundedness it's a it's a magnetism yeah yeah uh and i want to i want to like learn more and dive deeper yeah well we should definitely do that i'm always down to talk about that sort of stuff awesome because it's i mean everyone's learning all the time i mean like (laughs) my sweetie and i went on a like random date yesterday with this this guy i met on okcupid and who was like we're having a party tonight and then we went to the party and you know and like met him and his partner and all of these other poly people who are like poly identified and they you know and that was totally great and then now i'm gonna go on a date with him that's not how usually that's not how i usually do things with my partner usually we keep things pretty separate yeah and we just you know like this happened yesterday and we just like debriefed it this morning and we're like okay like we both feel fine about this you know that's amazing like this is and so it's always it's always new and scary but like everything's new and scary so why not you know do the scary things with when you have really great support and you know that the worst thing that can happen is to regret not doing something yes amen within reason within reason but i'm not going skydiving oh never no, i don't think so no no, no. no. poly skydiving poly skydiving May, I, I bet you might consider it i, I don't know i, well, I don't knows? know who knows but you know yeah emma we end with um a song with a song uh-huh <sighs> okay right. do you sing uh a little bit cool we just make up a song. We just make up a song. We'll sing together. Okay. What do we got? <laughs> I like that. You look great. That's a little sn- like a snipe <laughs> picture, like a little snail, like marching along. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much accurate.
Emma, thank you so much. Thank you so much. This was so lovely. Yes, thank you. Uh, I'll see you. I'll see you right after this. Oh yeah. Yeah. We are intimately finding our peaceful, cozy zone, and then he interviews friends. It's awkward and then it's cozy zone. Occasionally it's a lovely thing to be nosy in somebody's cozy zone. So please snuggle up sweet. A beautiful thing is cozy zone. <laughs>